Hello, it's Thursday the 19th of October. I'm Jacob Jarvis. And if you saw me looking like Janet from the Rocky Horror Picture Show sheltering from the rain under a newspaper this morning, no, you didn't. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review where we rip apart the press, then reassemble the scraps into a weird paper mache art piece. We're now out five days a week, so why not subscribe and tell all your friends about us? Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Biden's warning, US president sends message after Israel visit. Bye-bye by-elections, what is going on with the Tories? And winging it, from hawk bouncers to ferret electricians, what animals have the weirdest jobs? <laughs> Welcome to Papercuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Papercuts, where we forensically scan through the papers like Wayne Rooney after he's trained to be a lawyer. I'm Jacob Jarvis, and joining me on the show today is Politics Joe's Ava Santina. Hello, Ava. Hi, good morning. And with us is also New Statesman columnist John Elledge. Hello, John. Well, hello. So, what have we got on the front page today? John, what have you got? Very so, suave hello. Yeah, yeah it was. Lo- I'm loved that. That was more of an evening hello. I know? told you I've been shut up in my house with COVID for five days. I'm overexcited to be here. Now we're in a small box yeah. together, breathing exactly. each other's air. I mean, I gave, I gave someone COVID last time I was here. I'm probably not. It's not going to happen twice, is it? Like, no. What are the odds? That's not how it works. <laughs> Typically, it's not virulent. Anyway, should we talk about some papers? Please. So, um, the Daily Telegraph has got Biden, don't repeat our mistakes after 9-11. Quite a similar vibe on the mirror, unusually. Don't make the same mistakes that we did over a really upsetting picture of a, a boy covered in blood and dirt in a hospital in Gaza. Over in the Mail, ex- the Mail has got an exclusive interview. Israeli President blasts atrocious BBC over Hamas. Still going on that one. And something slightly different in the eye. Mortgage hope, UK interest rate hike unlikely, experts predict. So some good news as well. Hmm. Ava, what about you? The sun has Biden. It wasn't Israel. And there's a very awful picture of a child who has been hurt in that hospital, blast or not blast or wherever we are at with that. We'll get into that in a minute. The Times has gone with Biden backs Israel offensive. There's also a story about PM revives conversion therapy ban to head off ministerial revolt. Oh, bloody hell. Yeah, I know. The Guardian's gone with don't be consumed by rage, Biden tells Israel. All the papers have gone for the Israel-Gaza conflict, apart from the star. Death March of the Dawdlers. What's that all about? Because that's a real shift change there from the star. So let's, uh, let's get Yeah, well, there's a, a picture bit. of um, Forrest Gump. And then there's a picture of just like, you know, I guess the ordinary bloke who's just looking around and he's apparently walking like a tortoise. Forrest Gump, I guess, implies that he's walking at a reasonable pace Re- or moving okay. quite fast. So, yeah, this is um, all the papers have gone for the Israel-Gaza uh, fight. Fight? Gosh, Conflict. my syntax is dreadful this morning. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the star, just a, a war on sl- uh, slow walkers, apparently. Okay, makes sense. Well, clearly, as you mentioned there, the, the big news that's still dominating the front pages is the situation in Israel and Gaza. John, Biden's remarks have been a focus after he visited Israel. Can you talk me through the couple of key points that are coming out of that? So, yeah, so the main point he seems to have wanted to convey is that there was a lot of rage in the US after 9-11, the kind of just the the hurt and the shock of that attack. Biden comments that the Hamas attack on Israel the other weekend is proportionately equivalent to 15 9-11s, because even though I think the number of victims was, was not a million miles off like Israel is a much much smaller country so in terms of the likelihood any individual or any individual family knows someone who was a victim of that attack it is that that much higher and obviously that's 
that it's going to be a national a national trauma, even in a country like Israel, which is you know used to a certain level of uh, of violent attacks like this. This is a huge one. So Biden's line on this, he's gone to Israel to basically say, you know, like don't let that dominate everything you do now, and try and keep a, a cool head. Yeah. Whether or not the, the Israeli policy is sticking to that one is is an open question at this point. I think he's also made some comments around the hospital blast situation there, hasn't he? As well, which is still remains largely unclear exactly yeah. what happened there. We still don't know. It's I mean it's a very difficult certain. it's a very difficult thing to talk about because we you know we do not sitting in this small box somewhere in North London, we don't have the information as to you know, it is impossible for us to know what the truth of the situation is. You know, we are dependent on information coming out of basically partisan actors. But Biden uh, has gone to Israel and said, like, looking at stuff around, I think it's the lack of a crater, the particular sort of blast pattern, stuff like that. He's saying he has come away convinced that it was, quote, the other team that did this, meaning it was a misfiring rocket from someone on on, on the Palestinian side. I think the language there is quite interesting. So the use of a sports metaphor yeah. uh, feels weirdly inappropriate, I think. Like, the other team kind of suggests sort of matiness. I'm not sure is really there. Ava, there's also some comments around King Charles at the moment where he hasn't specifically mentioned Israel and Gaza, but it's been interpreted as his comments being around that situation. What's he been saying? Yeah, well, the Mail have interpreted it as a passionate plea to the nation to not let the toxic rancor and acrimony of online debate corrode society. So he was speaking at Mansion House last night. He was speaking to a group of dignitaries from the city. So a lot of bankers. And he was he was basically imploring them to appeal to their shared values. And, you know, we've got more in common than what divides us. And he's basically, I guess he's slamming the online sewer, which has been the narrative for the past week. I mean, I don't know how much time we've all spent on Twitter or X the past week, but it has been an extremely febrile place and not helpful actually at all in terms of deciphering the conflict or trying to understand what has actually been going on. I think the hospital has is a a prime example of that. I mean, straight out the box, people were blaming Israel and then we were blaming the Palestinians. You know, th- th- it was just there was no room for s- some actual intelligent. It's not even up for debate, is it? There was no actual decisions made or, not, you know, I mean, even big army chiefs now are saying, you know, no one's ever going to know who did this unless there's an independent actor that can get into Gaza. And that's obviously not going to be able to happen. So will we ever really know? There are two by-elections happening today and a wannabe MP in Tamworth is courting a bit of controversy. John, what's going on with Andrew Cooper? What's he been saying? So Andrew Cooper is the Conservative candidate. Well, if I hadn't said that, this will become abundantly clear from, <laughs> from this story anyway. Um, the Daily Mirror has dug out, a, I think it was a Facebook post from 2020, which was a sort of flowchart. It was a meme. It was like, you know... And it's, you know, if are you struggling to feed your family? Are you struggling to feed your children? And it's a flowchart structure. And it's a lot of stuff like, you know, are you paying more than 30 quid for a phone contract? Or do you have a television? Or like, you know, stuff like that. And these kind of little luxuries that, you know, some might say, 
might be the thing that makes life worth living in some way. Might also um, be essential to looking after your kids as yeah, well. Probably like, having a, a phone, ha- having that a works mobile phone these days doesn't feel optional. It kind of feels fairly bad. But anyway, like you follow this flowchart down, and if you know if someone is spending money on basically anything other than gruel, the box you end up in is fuck off. The of point course. of this is like you know this guy Andrew Cooper who was making making the um, politically delicate point that uh, people shouldn't be claiming benefits just because they're struggling to feed their children if they have any standard of life whatsoever. Anyway, he is currently running to be the uh, the MP for Tamworth. He he may may actually be elected today, so it is very possible that this guy is about to be elected the MP for Tamworth, a constituency in which twenty percent of the population are in relative poverty. So that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. The cost of living crisis that this guy is going to be representing these these poor families. Just always seems strange to me that they seem to think the point of benefits is to not spend the money on anything. Is quite strange. Like he receive benefits, but don't use the money for literally anything. Is uh, yeah, anything bizarre. other than the absolute basics in life. And it's like, but also like as you were saying, like you know, having a phone is is a basic it's at a this basic, point. Yeah. You know, like you need, you need to have a smartphone to access your benefits in the first place. At this point, yeah. I think you know to have a hope of applying for work, which I'm assuming the Andrew Coopers of the world would like these guys to do. You probably need a phone so that you can apply for jobs and so that someone can ring you to ask you to an interview and stuff. God, I hate these fucking people. (laughs) (laughs) What's he said to try and excuse this? Has he said anything very much? And why hasn't Sunak managed to just say, yeah, he's probably in the wrong there? I'm not actually sure. I'm sure there are quotes floating around from Andrew Cooper. Yeah, he backs it. Yeah, he stands by it, doesn't it? It's like none of them kind of like sort of like sunk into my brain because none of them were remotely interesting. It was other than just like, you know, uh, the cost of living, uh, uh, long-term economic plan. I mean, Rishi Sunak yeah. ba- basically just did that delightful thing Rishi Sunak always does. And when asked questions about it, he just pivoted to talking about what he wanted to talk about anyway, which is how much support his government was giving to families. Ava, you're in the business of getting these sort of sound bites from MPs. Does it make your job a little bit harder when they just hand them up on a plate. They're not sort of that shocking anymore, are they? I thought you were going to say you're in the business of this sort of quote. You know, like, I was like, oh, am I? You hate poor people. Well, you know. She's yeah. always going on about it. Yeah. Always. Uh, you know, funny, I actually um, interviewed Helen Barnard from the Trussell Trust yesterday and they're preparing over a million food packages for this winter. They think it's going to be one of the worst winters ever for food banks because of the cost of living crisis, but also because people can't afford to donate anymore. So they're, you know, they're being yeah. compounded by various issues. I actually think this is very retro from Andrew Cooper. This is more like an early 2000s, you know, hark back to, well, actually it's quite Lee Anderson as well, isn't it, the deputy chairman? Almost Victorian. It could go right back. It could be really retrospectively retro. Yeah. 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 But, you know, it's really that flat screen TV rhetoric that we had kind of like 2004, 2005. Have, Have any of these people tried to buy a big box TV recently? Why is it cheaper than we'd think? Or it's just like you can't. You literally ah. can't. Like a flat screen TV is also a TV. Yeah, it's like smart. And that's been true size. for like twenty years. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Right. So we should go hunting for like big box ones. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Like I'm. I'm. I'm think. I'm fairly sure I'm the oldest in here right now. I remember <laughs> when you switched the TV off and it would make a sort of woo noise and like the picture would shrink down to a tiny little dot in the middle. You can't get those TVs anymore. They're yeah. probably going to come in as they're retro. I've, I've never heard the boo noise, so I can confirm that. This they're is pretty, my entire childhood. Yeah. <laughs> John, what other politics stuff is going on at the moment? The Eye has this piece on mortgage news. Is it actually good or is it a sort of hope in the face that everything's pretty bleak? I mean, it does kind of feel like the latter to me. Basically, what's happening is uh, inflation is not, it's not gone down, but on the other hand, it's not gone up. Okay. It seems to be hovering around the 6.7% mark. 
which means that you know the the eye paper has a panel of economists that think that based on this probably the um, monetary policy committee will not raise interest rates this month and that would be the second month running after what was it 14 successive increases or something which you know if you're someone with a mortgage with a variable rate mortgage or with a significant quantity of debt which is in a not small part of the population this is good news because it means your outgoings are not going to go up i do feel however it's going to it's as keeps happening, this is being overinterpreted by people who want good news for the government. It's like, you know, whoopee, everything's going to be fine. It's like, no, no, prices are still rising by an annualized rate of 6.7%. That is very high. I don't think the public are necessarily going to reward the government for the fact that, like, costs are not soaring in the a rapid way they were six months ago. They're increasing in a more stately manner. I'm not sure that this is going to be perceived as good economic news so much as not quite as terrible economic news as it yeah. could be. It feels more sensibly shit for everyone basically. Yeah. And I do I don't I just think there are certain bits of our media that are just so desperate for some good news for the government. Not necessarily because they're they're pro Tory so much as they're they're anti boredom and like it feels like we're on for another nine, 12, 15 months of like inevitable Labour victory. And if you're a politics writer, that's a really boring thing to be looking down the barrel of. You want a narrative shift just to give you something to do. Now, as we all know, Paper Cuts loves a great headline, particularly the ones that bring a bit of brightness on bleak days like today. John, what have you got on the headlines front? So, The Sun on page three, uh, next to a very nice picture of Jennifer Lopez. It's nice to get, sticking to the old page three traditions there. She's wearing lingerie. They have a story about... Uh, Jean- a nice tradition. No. <laughs> I, just, I was just clarifying. Right? You, can't, you can't go on page three of The Sun and see J-Lo with her tits out. That's what I'm saying here. I just thought, you know, as someone who respects her work... <laughs> <laughs> no, going yeah. back going back to 1999's If You Have My Love, uh, I thought I should clarify <laughs> that Jenny from the block is still wearing clothing. Anyway, okay. um, let's move swiftly on. Um, the Sun oh, has, this, has a story about um, a, a certain Hollywood action man, a Belgian action man, launching his own brand of whiskey, which is apparently something that other stars, including Bob Dylan, Drake and Conor McGregor, have all done. Anyway, the headline is Jean-Claude Van Dram. Gosh. Well, I mean, the thing about that, the thing, imagine all of them in a room together. What a strange sort of dinner party that would be. Bob Dylan, Drake and Conor McGregor. Quite the arguments, I suppose. I mean, you'd want to get on the whiskey, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd, say, yeah, you'd have to. Uh, what else have you got? So I don't know if anyone noticed, anyone in England noticed, it was a bit stormy yesterday, it was a bit wet and windy. This, it turns out, was Storm Babette, which began tearing across the country yesterday as the Met Office issued a rare red alert. For the last few years, we've been we've been naming our storms, which, you know, the Met Office does in association with its Irish and Dutch equivalents, which is why some of the names okay. sound a bit kind of foreign to areas. Some of them are Dutch names, uh, hence Babette. Anyway, the headline is Smash and Bab. Over a lovely picture okay. of, of uh, the waves crashing into the seawall at Tynemouth. So that feels like it should be like about a, a punch up outside a kebab shop. Would be a, it'd be more suited to as a as a headline, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean you probably put that higher up the paper. I think. Yeah, <laughs> smash and bap. That would be, wouldn't it? Ava, what have you got? So in the the mirror today is binge it like Beckham. So I don't know if you've been watching the Beckham's program on Netflix, but apparently everyone has. It's had 3.8 million viewers in its first week on okay. Netflix, and that's not even including people who've watched it on phones. And I did watch it on my phone, so I'm not I'm not included in this. 
I don't know if you, have you watched it? I've not because people who I would watch it with have already binged it right. without me. So I'm sort of out of sync and I don't like watching that sort of thing on my own. I feel like it has to be a bit of group think moment. Really? Uh, yeah. You yeah. can't do Beckham by yourself. No, no. Well, you need to- <laughs> if he's offering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't stopped. But yeah, so apparently it's the biggest hit of the year, which would make sense because it seems pretty high budget. Yeah. And you can't imagine that it was very cheap to make. No. So I'm pleased with that. Um, and then over in the star, it's uh, what is Barlow the Surface, which is uh, Gary Barlow and the Take That crew. Apparently, when they were in Nashville, they were magnet fishing and okay. they were looking for, well, Gary added, we were looking for discarded revolvers, but we didn't find any. I mean, how do you get into this? I take that a militant group now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I also just add in, like, this This is quite a line. The trio have also have a new This Life podcast out today where Mark thanks his bandmates for introducing him to water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was he doing before? Well, he goes, recalling his first meeting as an 18-year-old, Mark quipped, I drank water for the first time ever because Howard and Jason drank water. I drank Perrier water. Well, stay hydrated. Yeah. He'd never drunk water before, apparently. (laughs) I'd had fizzy pop, no water. Fanta, no. Water, no. I thought they're drinking it, so it must be good. Crazy times. (laughs) It's a different time than 90s. Now it's time to get into the middle of the papers, and today we're going to give the the little furry belly of the press a bit of a rub. This time we're talking about animals with jobs in G2. John, please talk me through this, because I, I when I first saw this story, didn't immediately spot what it was about, and then dug into it and spotted phrases like hawk bounces and thought, this is absolutely brilliant. So this is, I think this is Pulitzer material. This is the, <laughs> this is the best thing I've ever talked about on paper cuts. Firstly, let's talk about the, uh, the the headlines on the front of G two. They've gone with a ferret's work is never done. The animal okay. inside it's quote ferrets are nosy little devils. It's just like you know these these are not puns. These are very pure. Yeah. Um, but you know they're just like they understand that people want to read about ferrets. And I think mm. that's true. So as far as I can tell, there is like literally no news hook for this. No. It is literally just someone who sat down and found examples of animals that I think with jobs is probably putting it strongly. I would not say all of these. Some of them. Okay, so uh, the aforementioned ferrets can be trained as electricians. Okay, what what are they doing there then? What's that? Right, now I, I should they're not they're not like rewiring plugs. No, I I hope not. No. What's what's going on here is they kind of um they attach they can get into small spaces, you see, ferrets. They're quite sort of long and, and tubular. Mm. So what they can do is they'll attach a wire to the back of a ferret and use it to kind of like run something through that you can then put an electrical wire on. Uh, and oh. they can lure them forward with, with a bit of salmon oil, apparently. Oh, um, I thought they'd be sniffing pipes or something. No, no, they said like they're, they're rewiring buildings. Um, 
Oh my god. That just sounds excessively complicated for something that surely some sort of tool Apparently, could just do. But that's just one of, of many examples. Um, they have uh, also um, your, your favourite job, hawk bouncers. Yeah, what is a hawk bouncer? Uh, apparently if you spend any time hanging around a British <laughs> railway station, you might have seen someone in a high-vis tabard casually walking around with a hawk on their wrist. I have spent time in British stations. I've never noticed this. Mm. But apparently the hawks are there to deter pigeons, which bring germs and also in not so many words can make the floors rather slippery. Uh, the hawks don't eat the pigeons. They're just their very presence puts the pigeons off. My favourite, though, I think, is the bat librarians uh, at the uh, <laughs> Juanina Library at the University of, of Coimbra in Portugal, which is well known for its exquisitely detailed gilding and woodwork, but also for what its deputy director calls its honorary librarians. There are two small colonies of bats that live up in the rafters and have been there since the 18th century. My favourite thing about this is they're honorary librarians. That's not just because they don't they don't actually read the books. No. It is also because, like, the argument that they work as librarians is based on the fact that they eat the insects that might do damage to these sort of ancient books. But nobody has ever actually sort of analysed the, the bat feces to find out if they are eating these insects. It's an entirely theoretical well, job for benefit. you then. Ava, what animal with a job would you like to be out of the, <laughs> the animals with jobs we have here? Can I propose a, an animal with an actual real job? Okay. The rewilding of beavers to London. Have you seen this? Oh, yes. 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 And so the beavers control the waterways. You know, so what... <laughs> that just sounds like <laughs> quite a conspiracy theory here. The fucking um, beavers control... The beavers run the entire canal system in this town. Do they, they have can. space lasers as well? They can. Beavers have huge. You have a huge responsibility, which is that they can, they can direct... Do, do you know what? You'll never know. No, please, please, <laughs> please, so, please talk us through we'll the beavers. No, we're we, the we're both shutting up. No, please, the beavers, please come on, over. They, they just build a lot of dams, all right, and they can they can move where the water's going to, so they can prevent a floodplain or they can create a floodplain if the nature or the reserve so requires it. Is this? Do okay. the beavers have us in the protection racket? Yeah. Lovely city you got there. Be a shame if it were to flood. This is what I'm thinking, right? So Sadiq Khan actually was like big, you know, he was in cahoots with rewilding the beavers. Please not Sadiq Khan conspiracy <laughs> theories I'm as well. Here. saying, Mayor of London, Ulez, beavers, <laughs> it's happening. Has anyone told Susan Hall's campaign about this? She's probably all over it. <laughs> well, the thing is though, right. So we're talking about the animals of jobs here, and that's what would be for everyone. The Guardian actually, doing a bit of paper cuts throwback, they previously had a piece in G2 saying that we should stop having pets because they probably all have this sort of sense of existential dread. I mean, what? do we yeah, pretty much. That's what they kind of said. They say like, you know, you're the pets do. Yeah, it's like they're they're kind of trapped by you. It's a it's a weird power dynamic. It was a very it was a very niche. Is the Guardian why you accusing have pets. me of is the Guardian a newspaper I have been known to write for accusing me of being in an abusive relationship that, with essen- my dog. Essentially part of it was around those lines. But I mean, following that thread though, surely we we can't give animals jobs. It's, what's the F? Is there an ethical quandary well, what here? What do you mean? Do, loads of animals have jobs. I mean, like actual jobs. What about police dogs? Yeah. You know, that's a pretty important job. Yeah. There are others, aren't there? What about um, the sniffer dogs as sniffer well? Sniffer dogs, there? guide dogs. Guide dogs. Dogs have it rough when God, it comes to work. Really I mean, I, yeah. I, as, as, as a dog owner, I have to say my dog has no practical purpose whatsoever. Like, he would not be able to get a job. He would not be able to hold down the job. You would have Andrew Cooper sharing memes, <laughs> attacking my dog for being dependent on the taxpayer. And I'm not very, ha- I'm not comfortable with that. No. 
On page 34 of the star, we have the nation's second favourite agony aunt. I'm not sure who does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, dear, yeah, must dear, be dear, number dear. one. Okay, we've got Just Jane, also alliterative. It's the same as my name there, JJ, with that. Uh, as we know, Jane solves our problems today and every day. But today, one particular problem caught our eye and we thought we needed to wade in on it. So a reader has reached out because she needs help with her clean freak fella. He's so tidy that it's scary. <laughs> and she said, the letter reads, I recently spent my first full weekend at his place and it was surreal. He woke up early to meditate, jog, shower and cook breakfast from scratch. Sounds like a humble brag. He finally forced me out of bed at 7.30 and insisted on blitzing his flat from top to bottom, even though it was already pristine. She writes, I consider myself put together, but what if he thinks I live like a slob? My bed isn't dirty, but it isn't exactly tidy with piles of mags and clothes all over the place. Suddenly, I don't feel good enough for him. Should I break it off? Ava, what did you think about this Just Jane piece when you when you read over it? I've got so much judgment. Yeah. I've got judgment <laughs> on all sides. Like for a start, there is no way I would ever date a man who would get up at 7.30 to meditate. Like, I'm sorry, I'm really happy that you've got internal peace. I don't. No. Um, and I need to calm down, you know, by sleeping more in the morning. If someone got up and was like, you know, cross-legged at the end of the bed when I woke up, I would be terrified. I would leave immediately. On the other side of that, why is her flat so dirty? Why have you got magazines and clothes everywhere? You know, yeah. clean it up. There's got to be a happy medium here. To me, it sounds quite well put together, really. I mean, it's 7.30 that outrageously early oh, to yeah, get up and do stuff. I, I don't think it's... I'm not, I'm not a fan. I mean, meditating, I'm not down for. But at 7.30 up and maybe go for a jog or something, like oh. something less sort of spiritual, but go and do a bit of... I just think he sounds pretty... You look so normal. Yeah. <laughs> You're I a just, monster. I just think he sounds like a... He's got it together and he just wants his place to be quite tidy <laughs> and stuff and that's very like i i admire it like i always think oh, i'll get up at 7 30 and do some shit or go to yoga or something and i don't but i kind of think fair play to it i mean do you just think so i i cannot sleep past about 8 30 anymore i can feel myself sort of thinking you know that way like old people go to bed at like nine o'clock and then get up at six and stuff i can already like you know it's decades off but i can sort of feel the change beginning i used to be able to sleep in all day and it was great and now if i wake up at eight o'clock that's it i'm done I'm not going back to sleep. And I look at this person making a virtue out of this, and I hate him so much for not just spending the whole day going around with a caffeine-induced headache (laughs) and thinking, like, he hasn't had a good night's sleep in 20 fucking years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Jane's advice on it is she said, you and your guy are not in a competition. You're allowed to be yourself. If you're happy with who you are, then you shouldn't feel obliged to change. Ava, I mean, that's just, it's not really advice it doesn't feel like to me there's nothing practical there is it it's just stick with it you keep being fucking messy and let him get on with what he wants i think that we should have probably gauged that from her her name which is just jane and that is (laughs) just about cutting it as uh, advice (laughs) the daily mail has an exclusive about the bed bug crisis you'll never believe where they are now to find out you'll have to join our supporters club And that brings us to the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thank you very much to Ava. Thank you. And thank you to John. Thank you.
Remember, we'd love your support so we can continue to bring paper cuts to you every single weekday. There's no big media money bags behind us. We are 100% independent, so all your contributions are hugely welcome. £3 a month means you get every episode without adverts. And if you support us with a little more, you can enjoy an exclusive story or two at the end of each episode, plus the unique opportunity to purchase highly exclusive paper cuts t-shirts and mugs to enhance your life to no end. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I hope they'll enhance your life somewhat. I'm not sure if it's to no end. I'm, I'm, I'm reading that from a script, I'll well, tell I you that. Well, I don't know. I think we should look at John wearing his paper cuts t-shirt. Every time he's worn it, I've complimented it. Yeah. It's so nice. I do wear, I mean, I do wear it casually because it actually fits quite nicely on nice. me. So I do, I do wear it to pubs and stuff, yeah. Well, that's the best review we could have from it. So to be able to do that and to, to look as, as suave as John, follow the show notes to <laughs> back.papercutsshow.com. That's B-A-C-K dot show. Two S's in there, dot com, to find out more. Our supporters also get a shout out on the show and here are free now. A big thanks to Elizabeth Foote. Shout out from me to uh, Yannicka Flem. And thanks a lot to Michael McCluskey. I've been Jacob Jarvis, and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when an ancient bylaw was triggered to hang a bundle of straw under the Millennium Bridge to warn boats of falling debris. They're really clutching at straws with that one, I'd say. See you tomorrow. Paper Cuts was written and presented by Jacob Jarvis with Ava Santina and John Ellidge. The producer was Liam Tate and the assistant producer was Adam Wright. Audio production was by me, Jade Bailey. Music by Simon Williams. Socials by Jess Harpin. Design by Jim Parrott and original art by Modern Toss. The executive producer is Martin Boytosh. Managing editor is Jacob Jarvis and group editor is Andrew Harrison. Paper Cuts is a Podmasters production. 